listen here. We've gone past our uh, anniversary episode, and Stefan and I are following up because we're going to have some very special guests. And the next two episodes are very special guests. This first episode is a guest I have wanted to have on the podcast as a guest since its inception. Wow. Um, but he is notoriously difficult to book. Mm. Yeah. And he won't ever not be the co-host. So it's difficult to, to not book the co-host. <laughs> so I, you did a, you did a tr- tremendous job of introducing yourself uh for the last episode so maybe we could do a truncated version of that <laughs> yeah in the beginning there were dinosaurs ah <laughs> uh, yeah so you're listening to can't sell this a podcast about creativity creatives and their process with your hosts hugh elliott and stefan grambart Stefan Grambart. I'm working as a narrative designer for games and VR and um, stuff yeah. like that. And creative, lifelong creative, started in animation, been working in advertising and marketing, and have a podcast with my good friend Hugh. What a tremendous way to introduce yourself by mentioning me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Stefan. Yep. We we have we we have always had when we have guests, we always have a moment where I say, "Steph," and you go, "Yep," and then I launch into it. But this is a situation where, in fact, when I say, "Steph," yep, I have a question. Oh, very good. You have uh, you took a year and a bit to get your master's. I did. What, uh, first, what was the master's in? And then follow-up mm-hmm. question to that. Why okay. did you get your master's? So I, I went back to school uh, to get my master's in digital media. Okay. And uh, I, I should... Not crochet. Not crochet. That was, that was the first thing that I had thought of. And um, I, honestly, I had my notes say crochet. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to um, be one of those episodes. Yeah, that's fine. That's okay. Okay, so digital media. Digital media. Okay. And so, I mean, I basically got a, a, a master's in a field that I had been working in for about 15 years. Right. Um, I... I took it. I went. I went back to school because in in the week before applications were due, uh, there were three people in my life that independently told me I, I should probably get my master's. Huh. And uh, the first one was actually um, about teaching. Right. So I had started teaching uh, as a contract lecturer and. Um, the idea of having a master's would be might be beneficial towards getting more teaching right. um, gigs. Right. And I like teaching. I, I took up teaching because I, I used to be a, a full-time employee, creative director on the executive team, mm-hmm. mentoring the, the staff that was uh, at, the, uh, at the company or at the companies I worked at. And I didn't have that anymore as a freelancer. Yeah. I, I didn't really have a team to mentor. So this was kind of part of that. Um, the second uh, reason was because uh, the work that I was doing, uh, sometimes not having that post-secondary, like complete post-secondary education, because I should say, 
I didn't have undergrad when I went for my master's. Right. I did one year of fine arts and then fucked off to, to, to college. To, to, to yeah, college, like yeah. animation. Um, but I had all this, all these years of experience. So, yeah. so the idea of like, okay, well, I can legitimize some of that experience, and I don't think it's necessary. But I understood why, in some cases, it yeah. might be seen that way. And then the third one was because of robots. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's an answer in yeah. general for everything. So I don't uh, know how that pertains to basically. Um, there are robots. There's a lot of companies that are now saying we don't we don't require people to have post secondary education. We're just looking for talented people uh, and who are right fit for this role. Right. When you're talking about some of the top companies in the world, though, any position that they put up for um, uh, that, that's open for for someone to, to you know, as an opportunity to work for them. Uh, it's going to have thousands of applicants. And sometimes there's just, there's like maybe a handful of people that are going to be going through those. Right. So they need something to, to cull those, to, to, to bring that number of, of applicants down. So post-secondary. So it's it's not a requirement, but it still is something that might be used to filter out people. Right. So I was like, okay. So bachelor's degree or master's is a, is a helpful. Something. Yeah. Something post-secondary is better than just high school. Because there's still a stigma in, in uh, at least in North American culture, for people that don't have post-secondary. In, in some fields. And you don't consider, you, you, you went to college, so you don't consider that as being uh, secondary? I do. I think, and I mean, when I graduated from college, I was like, I don't, I never needed my diploma. Yeah. You know, I had a portfolio. Right. And the way that I got with it, and I mean, I'm an old man, so this was back in like the mid 90s. Yeah. I got my first job because I showed my portfolio to someone. And then I got my second job because the guy who hired me for my first job recommended me for the second job. Right. And then I got my third job because the guy from my second job um, saw that I did good work and got me more work. And then just went on. I never used my portfolio. Okay, I was going to say it. This whole episode is yeah. job beget yeah. job because of job. No. Uh, this is going to be a... Bad, bad yeah. time. <laughs> people, people going to sleep. The, the begat. There's a, there a whole book of the you Bible went. that's begat so and so. That's all I could think. There's that Bible thing. Yeah. It, it's literally like an entire and then Old Testament Joel book. Begat, Big, begat Ethel, such and, and then such. Ethel begat Christopher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then eventually the word begat means nothing, and yeah. you, you start thinking about yogurt. And anyways, I went nougat, but that's fun. <laughs> nougat. Mm. <laughs> Chocolate. But yeah, so. Um, um, so I had these three sort of independent thoughts on okay, I, I kind of want to get this right this degree, regardless of yeah. how difficult and time consuming getting your master's would be. Yeah, I mean, there, there's the two other factors are one, I was like, I'm going to meet a lot of young people. Yeah, uh, you know, people who are at the start of their career. I'm a lot of the the people that I know in the industry now are people that are running their own companies. They are on ex, on executive teams. Right. They're not necessarily people that I get to work with on a freelance basis. So I'd like to have like a, a pool of talent that I can I can work with. Right. And what better way than going through a master's program with them and and actually having to do work together. Right. right. And then uh, I. This wasn't something that happened at the same time, but I was reminded of a story that someone told me about how they uh, decided to go for their master's. They were starting a company. They had just moved. I think they had just moved to Canada and they had just become a father and they were also very sick. They like something happened, but they did all this in the same two year period. Right. And I was like, that's crazy. I could never do that. And here I was contemplating doing the same thing. Right. And I just said, you know, 
if there's ever going to be a time now, if I, I if I hold off on this, then it's just going to get harder and harder. So, yeah. um, and not It'll be a thing you talked about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's that's the a lot of what we have discussed in the in the past couple of years uh, when it comes to this is you, you can talk about doing something mm-hmm. and and never do it. Right. 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 But it is it's hugely important. But you'll just talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that uh, I think the fact that you went from talking to doing was a, a huge thing. Yeah, and it it was pretty scary. Like I I didn't know oh, I, no. I was like, what am I getting myself into? Because I didn't give up work. Yeah. You know, not only was I a, a, essentially a full time student, I was also essentially working full time, freelancing, and teaching so at one point i was a teacher and a student at ryerson at the same time and a ta so i was like if i got a job in admin and also as a janitor here that yeah. would i just have everything you'd be voltron. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be every limb of voltron at the same Vol- time voltron university yeah <laughs> i can't run this whole thing myself go Stefan. go yeah, yeah. <laughs> if i only knew you better <laughs> i feel that's a line i should know but i don't I, it's not a real oh, line. Oh, okay. Just, okay. <laughs> I thought um, for a second you were really referencing Voltron. Like, and that's no. what I have to admit. I have no... You, you don't know Voltron. Don't know Voltron. You're not a real Voltron fan. No, I'm not. I'm not. No. That's okay. Well, so <clears throat> let's let's step back a bit. Okay. Okay. You, you went from animation, and it, this is not a... It, there's no linear path to this, mm-hmm. right? So... You went from animation in Ottawa to then somehow you're creating an Emmy Award winning <laughs> VR experience for Sleepy Hollow. Well, there's there's a lot of years in between there. But not as many as we all say. Like like maybe 12 or 15. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We, we start to we start to think and and the, the funny thing about it and and because I'm also old and because I also have a very long history, uh, we start to we start to think, well, that was forever ago, you know. Mm-hmm. But the experiences that led to that, I'm very curious about what brought you one. What brought you to Toronto? Well, I mean, let's, let's start yeah, there. Okay. What brought you to Toronto? If you're working in animation in Ottawa and you've got a job, a gig, mm-hmm. several gigs going sequentially. Mm-hmm. What brought you to Toronto? Well, so I, I had already sort of um, gotten out of the, the animation gig at this point. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I worked for about six years in in television and film animation. Okay. Uh, and a bit of video games as well, uh, like hand-drawn stuff. Dragon's Lair, except not. No, except not. <laughs> More like My Little Pony oh. before the friendship is magic. Oh, well. Yeah, that's okay. Where the ponies ate pizza, and that was really weird. Okay, I don't. You don't find. I don't pizza know how ponies lift anything. To be honest, My Little Pony. My my daughter went through it. My son went through it. I don't understand how the how ponies lifted it. They they do this, and their hoof was upside down and managing a wrench. Oh, and that's just not a thing a hoof can do. <laughs> you ungodly creatures. Yeah. Who created you? My little you? pony, brought by the devil in his stead. <laughs> Sorry, I, but I, yeah. So I had I had been out of animation, oh, okay, um, and I had been working in design. So that transition happened uh, mainly because of the the um, uh, 
the DJing work that I was doing, which is kind of a weird thing. But I was doing a lot of animation freelance. Right. Um, I was moonlighting as a DJ and started to, because I had skills in Photoshop, started to do flyers and posters for my own stuff. Oh, okay. And then started promoting, like, I, this was, like, at the height of of nightclub promotion, right? So uh, my buddy Rob and I started promoting nights and bringing in DJs from all over the place. Okay. And, uh, doing, doing our own ads. I was designing our ads. And then I started designing ads for everyone else in town. You know, there was, there was a small pool of designers who were doing flyers and, mm. and posters. And would you, would you say that, that the advantage of living in a, a smaller market helped? For, for oh, that yeah, to happen, sure. I mean, oh, I mean, there, there was uh, benefits and setbacks, uh, just like there is in everything. Uh, but being in a small community, it, it just meant I knew a lot of people, right. and like I said before, in in the previous episode, we would have to go out and help promote yeah. other people's shows, and it was a, a small, tight knit group. I mean, of course, there was infighting on stuff and disagreements, right. but it, it was still it was still more of a community. Um, but all that design sort of led me down this path of of I'm 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 doing more design work than I am animation. Right. And so I was like, well, and I enjoy it. I, I really like doing it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go down that road. Not realizing that designing nightclub flyers is more like a being an artist. It's like very there's a lot of freedom there. Yeah, yeah. It's not the yeah. same as designing banner ads for you know um, yeah. base cell margarine. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but. Uh, but I went down that road, and uh, the second time I went back to school, or the first time I went back to school, I should say, I went to uh, back to Algonquin and got a, a fast track graphic design degree. Okay. And uh, <laughs> um, I was working. I, I got a freelance job before I went back, and I was doing um, a first my first bit of des- brochure design. Uh, and I won't mention the company, a great group of guys, but uh, they hired me on and I was working in uh, InDesign. Oh. And all my images were turning up pixelated and garbage. And I was like, I don't understand what's going on. I can't get this to work. I'm like designing the whole thing. I think you kind of know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably half of our listeners are as well. But maybe, maybe not. I, uh, I, I basically sent them the faucet. Hey, listen, guys, I know this is due tomorrow. Here's the files. I got it as far as I could. But for whatever is worth, like, I just couldn't fix this resolution problem. Uh, you know, like, like I, I don't worry about paying me. Like, I feel horrible. <laughs> And here you go. And I was like, you know what? I am self-taught, and I know there's things I don't know. Right. I need to go back to school. Right. So I, I sent off the, the the file to them, and then I had an interview at Algonquin after I sent in my portfolio, and the, the intake officer was just like, why are you coming back to school with this portfolio? Right. And I said, here are the things I don't know, and I just list them off. I'm like, that's what I want to learn here. And right. she's like, then you're in the right place. You'll learn all this. Nice. First day of InDesign class. So whenever you look at your images in InDesign, it's a low-res preview. I, you know, <laughs> I don't like giving up the joke. <laughs> the punchline seemed really important in this in this case. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty rookie move. So me, me in class going, son so, of a... So you didn't get paid for the job I, you did. I, I told them not to pay me because I felt bad that I didn't get it done. Well, it won't be the first time. It wasn't the first time you worked for free. And it <laughs> yeah. wasn't the last yeah. time you worked yeah. for free. But yeah, so um, 
so I started doing more design. I started getting into uh, getting jobs as a as a graphic designer. Right. Um, those were so animation is freelance, and one of the one of the issues was that uh, even in Ottawa, which was a large service uh, town for animation, we got a lot of work from from New York. Right. Um, there was work that was coming in from France. Uh, we're coming in through like from France through Montreal so it was like always like passed passed down the line right yeah like my first job was working out of my basement doing shadows on Space Jam okay and uh, I, I didn't do enough uh, footage to get credit I was working for a guy who uh, was an effects animator so um, hand-drawn effects animation is basically anything where the volume of the thing that you are drawing changes Right, so if you think okay. about character animation in in two D, like the volumes of of characters are always meant to be the same. Even if you squash and stretch, it's the character is is solid. Right, same with cars or or, sure. or props, but smoke, fire, water, uh, shadow. A lot of lighting work is is shadows. So that's all effects animation. Okay, it's very specialized. So there's one guy that I worked with, uh, Pete Brown, um, who was like a a big mentor of mine. He um, he basically took me in and taught me that, which wasn't really we taught we got taught a little bit in school, but I, I became a guy who was known for effects right. as well. He was he was a really um, well respected animator. You know, he was a, a big part of young Steph's growing up, right? And getting into the into. Uh, uh, and did he tell you to get out of it? <laughs> I'm waiting for you to say, no, like, no. like, he was a great mentor of mine and he told me to quit. No, it's, um, uh, Pete Brown uh, was was really good to me. Right. Uh, and especially, like, I remember um, there's the Ottawa International Animation Festival. And it is, like, the second largest, or at the time was the second largest animation festival in the world. Right. So uh, I had gone as a student, and when I went with Pete, um, everywhere we went, he was getting uh, headhunted by Disney. Right. Who had just opened up in Toronto. They were opening up something overseas, and they were like, Pete, you got to come and be our overseas guy. You got to be coming. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. And I'm just sitting there going, you know, like, what this is, is that crazy. like? Yeah. And <laughs> then, that like, like uh, there was a party somewhere, and this was, uh, I, I ran into somebody. Uh, this was back when I was smoking. So um, they asked me for a light, and then uh, we were just standing there, and he said, So are you a student? I said, No, I, I'm a graduate. I'm working now. He's like, Oh, where are you working? I'm like, Oh, I'm not working in a studio. I'm working with Pete Brown. And he went, Oh, you're working with Pete Brown. You got to stick with that guy. He's really clever. And I was just like, Everyone I run into, yeah. this, you know, so um, you got the right mentor. That's good. Yeah, he was he was he was a, a fantastic mentor, and um, when he eventually did take that job, right, overseas director, uh, and which literally meant that the my job was now done. I was going to say right? he flipped the table in front of you. Yeah, so, <laughs> so he, he he made sure that I had met the right people right. at the animation studios in town. Like literally went to a, a cottage for a weekend with them. Right hung out, got to meet everybody. And so he just said, go see Derek, go see Neil, right. get some work, no yeah. problem. And right. that's why I'd never use my portfolio to get that work because right. they had met me through Pete. They had known me from the work that I did with him. And right. that was that. So that's if great. it wasn't for Pete, I, I would have had a very rough climb ahead of me yeah. in animation. So. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's amazing yeah you worked for uh, an agency called secret location yeah we're gonna we're obviously gonna talk Flipping about it forward, yeah. because it's because it's you know hugely influential in your life 
you created, uh, you started to move away from design and mm-hmm. move more into experience design. Mm-hmm. And experience design or narrative design, uh, they go very much hand in hand. You are directing someone through an experience. How do you take that original learning that you had as an animator, as a designer, as a DJ, you know, because a DJ moves crowds through, mm-hmm. you know, any experience and you, yeah. and you bring someone up and down. Do you feel that that all combines to create you as an experienced designer, as a narrative designer now? Like, is that part of it? 100%. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't think that there's anything that I've done that where I ever felt like I wasted time. Right. Um, because even if it was as, as something as simple as like being able to figure out if um, a certain like DJ mix was working and being able to assess if it's working, right, right, like like I've been able to pull those skills into everything, like, like um, and like what you were saying, drawing something, creating an illustration, you want that illustration to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So the tools are different, but it's still the same end result. You're trying to get across a, a, a story or, or an experience and elicit some kind of emotional reaction. Um, well, we, we, we have discussed, we've discussed personally between us, like the, that the, what you do now is, is, is pretty niche. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <clears throat> And what what that means is that it, it's more difficult to freelance in in such an. It's not it's not that it's more. It's actually easier to freelance in a very niche role. It's more difficult to be hired full time in yes. a niche role. Yeah. But because your role is so niche, and because what you do is so necessary, uh, that that feast and famine is is very pronounced. Right. Oh yeah. And oh, it's, yeah. it's more tied to funding cycles than and it is anything to else. anything yeah. else. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I would say that um, it's necessary, but there's also a, a lot of, um, as people's f- funding and as their, their uh, resources, their belts get tightened, uh, what I do is one of the first things to go. Yeah. Because it is the thing that is not a hard skill. It is a soft skill. Right. Right. And so... You have like, well, you know, we'd really love to have a narrative designer on this, but I just don't know if we can afford it. You know, our creative director is, is a pretty creative guy. Let's just get them to do it. Yeah. Right? Whereas when I was a creative director, I was taking, it was the opposite. You know, I was the narrative guy, the story guy, who was also doing the like the role of a, of a creative director. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, that's, that's a thing where I'm like, now it's like, I got to keep, updating my skills i gotta keep figuring out what it is that i offer you know what are the hard skills that i can offer yeah. how can i can i uh, adjust this and part of me like we talked in the last episode about what it means to be successful you know small successes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they, they bring more joy so i've thought about like I, I know what it is that i like to do i like to tell stories but it doesn't matter how i do that right uh, like there's a lot of different ways that i like to do it uh, and that is pr- maybe even part of the issue is that i've constantly am pulled in different directions and i can't focus on the one thing you know to to, to be a, an expert at yeah so i'm like well maybe you know like tell stories through games tell stories through short film through animation for through illustration so it's just a matter of i'm i think i'm at another point where you know post pandemic 
I've got a big move coming up. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes, what's next? Like, what is the next thing that I'm going to do? Do you see yourself as as heading something up? Like, do you see yourself as as creating something? Because the reason I the reason I ask is, um, it seems like a very natural fit that when you talk about like writing funding applications for other people. To me, it makes more sense because you are not only the, the person writing the funding application, you're probably also going to be involved in the idea itself. Right. Do you not see yourself as as heading something up? You mean like starting starting my own agency or... Starting your own studio? studio? Yeah. Um, I've thought about it. I, I know that there's a lot of aspects that are involved in running a studio that are, that are maybe not within my wheelhouse mm. and I'm probably not the best person at. Um... I like to think of it right now as more partnerships. Right. Like I would love to partner with someone on an idea, right? If I'm like, hey, I've got this. I want to make it. You have a company that makes it. Let's figure out how to make this work together. Right. Go in on a funding application. You know, your company, like deal with the rights and all that stuff. But again, that's more of that gatekeeper stuff. Mm-hmm. So the the thing I think that is closest to starting my own studio would be there's a couple of people that... Um, I've worked with before and we've always talked about ideas and doing something creative. Mm -hmm. And I think um, we're now at a point where maybe that's what we should be doing. Let's, and it's again, small successes. So it's like, let's not worry about funding. Let's not worry about trying to sell this to a distributor. Let's make an animated short film and make it for ourselves. Yeah. And the measurement of success is I enjoyed doing that. Yeah. And then when it's done, we're like, okay, well now let's maybe submit it to a couple of film festivals. If you haven't listened to the last episode, I, I brought up the fact that I have been speaking to someone who is a researcher on a, on a, on a different podcast. And we talk shop now during the, during these poker games. <clears throat> and she mentioned, have you heard of, and it was like the Canadian Podcast Awards or something like that. I can't remember what it's called. And I forgive me for forgetting. And I said, I've never heard of it. And she goes, it's, it looks legit. Like there are a whole bunch of podcasts that are legit and they're all nominated. Uh, I'm surprised you're not in it. You've had a podcast for nearly three years. You, you should probably be in this. And I said, oh, okay. So I looked and I submitted us and we are now allowed to be in consideration for these things huh. which i didn't know existed yep because my involvement in selling the podcasts only goes so far as saying this episode is ready <laughs> everybody here you go and i think that it's a funny thing when 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 you talk about your wheelhouse and you talk about what what a studio having a studio entails and you don't you you seem to not have an interest in it um, I, I'm trying to be realistic about it. I think, you know, the the opportunity to start a, a studio brings with it a lot of responsibility that I'm not, I'm like, I don't know if that's really the right way to go about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I've been so focused on this, like, least amount of gatekeepers possible. You know, you will start to be beholden to things if you own your own studio. Right. Right. But if, if you're constantly just making small projects that that are only for short successes mm-hmm. you know how do you make money how do you su- 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 yeah, su- it's, success you know so so it is i mean 
the model that that I'm, I'm looking at now is make something on my own time and make sure that I am employed I elsewhere okay. and make that stuff to be creatively fulfilled and if it ever goes anywhere great right okay. but but I but there's no pressure on it to succeed right which means not necessarily that I can just get away with doing something bad but it means I I don't have to think about this project as in a like, well, is this going to be successful? Is this going to be something that, right. that, you know, I can just make it and make sure that it's good and, and make it for and, people who are exactly like me that would like it. Right. And as long as the people you're working with have that perception as well. Right. I mean, yeah. that's, that's very key. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because if they start, if, if you're, if you're maintaining it as like, oh, well, I'm doing this mm-hmm. specifically for the challenge of doing it. And I hope that the you know I'm going to do my best to make the product good, but if you're working with someone who is a perfectionist who will only let it be released if they, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, there's that, <laughs> or even just like if you're going into it thinking this is something that we're doing for ourselves and we want we don't want to have a lot of gatekeepers. Yeah, and but the other person's like I'm doing this for monetary success yeah so when someone comes along and says we want to we want to pay you money and own a part of this to make it and you're like well no because that's now a gatekeeper i gotta worry about but your partner's like but i want to make that money yeah then there's a problem right Right. so um, but also there's an interesting take on that as well like have you seen the movie raya and the last dragon no so in it there the the dragon uh in that whose name escapes me uh the, the concept is that there's this whole orb that gets created and, and, and this dragon spreads the magic out and that's what defeats this this mm-hmm. this uh, enemy. But, but when when she's reborn or whatever, she says, uh, the, the Raya says to her, you know, but you're so-and-so, you're this dragon, you're, you're incredible, you saved us all. And she says, have you ever had a group project and... Everybody gets credit, but not everybody does the same amount of work. I'm not exactly the best dragon, um, you know. So, like, that's the the, the movie is about you yeah. know, trying to to deal with this. But when you talk about wanting to work on your own time, create something, are you talking about like doing a a group project? Is that did I mishear that? Yeah. Well, there's 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 basically one. Um, artist that I want to work with. Okay, so right? this isn't like three or four people. No, this okay. is, there's like two of us involved, okay. and and we both have discussed, you know, what we want to have out of this project. Okay, Th- this is a guy that for for years I've been saying, you know, he's he is one of the most talented people I've ever worked with. Okay, he also has the worst case of imposter syndrome, uh. and you know it's true. <laughs> You know it. <laughs> oh, he's going to be listening. Yeah. To <laughs> um, but, but it's, it, you know, it, as much as I've tried to convince him that, like, I'm like, look, th- if there was one person on earth that I could work with on a project, it would be. It's Hugh. You. After <laughs> Hugh. After Hugh. You don't want to be sitting at the table with me and tell God me that. Damn you're it. <laughs> no, uh, in, a, in all seriousness, I totally get you. In yeah. all in all seriousness, from from a a, a like a three D perspective, and I keep telling him, it's like I this is the year, you know, I'm I'm going to really sharpen my skills in 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 Blender and Unreal. Right. Um, they have been adequate 
to work as a creative director. You know, I know enough about this stuff so that I can work with really talented artists to get stuff done. Right. Right. But I have a feeling that now with when it's about the least amount of gatekeepers, I, I got to start stepping up. Mm. Um, so thankfully, I'm going into this with less or with with um, with some knowledge. So I'm not starting off blank. And also, I think this has really been the best time to get started with Blender. Right. So it's like I'm leaving behind some of the other stuff that I've learned on. And I mean, like, I mean, I'm going way back to Silicon Graphics machines. Right. If you remember those. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's about um, just sort of brushing up on some stuff. We go into this into this discussion and, and, and I, I know who you are now. Right. And I actually do know a lot about that original Stefan in Ottawa because you we have discussed it right. a lot and and I think we covered that great but I am really curious because to go from designing gig posters then to designing ads and 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 whatnot to designing huge experiences mm-hmm. for people or 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 to to write the narrative for mm-hmm. a game those are very different things and it and I'm wondering about the progression that leads you from that to this. I'm sure it's not a linear progression, uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to drag out 15 right. years of time. But I'm super curious about, you know, how you moved from that to this. It's, you know? So I mean, it's not something that I also saw mm-hmm. right as it was happening. It's something that, in hindsight, I can kind of put a finger on. Oh yeah, I can see why that right. happened the way it did, and. Um, so th- that happened around the time that I was in Toronto and I just started working at, or I just uh, started looking for work and got the job at Secret Location. Okay. And one of the things that um, I was told by the partners why they reached out to me was because in my description, I said I was a visual storyteller. And that was something that I had identified because... I I drew. I was an illustrator. I went into animation. I and I I did animation. I did uh, some storyboarding stuff. I did layouts. All of that, and then design as well, was because I was trying to tell a story. And the tools that I had always used to do that were crayons. Was was drawing. Right. Right. Was some kind of visual element. <laughs> How do I tell the story that I want to tell through this one image? And that's how I went from animation and drawing and and into design where it was the same thing i'm working with a design for a thing that needs to communicate something right um but the heart of it was always the storytelling and i feel really lucky that i got the job at secret location because of the opportunities that it afforded me i was at a point where I was like, what am I doing in advertising? Right. Like, it, <laughs> I, I mean, some of the stories that we've talked about in early episodes, like the, um, uh, I can't even remember what we called it now. <laughs> the, oh, the product uh, that I didn't want to talk about. Secret Farm. Secret Farm. Yeah. Um, and can I honestly tell you that I never figured it out? Oh, really? It, it took me. I, would, I probably listened to that episode a few times, and I, this is a great digression. I honestly, when you were telling it, I you were looking at me like, yeah, a, yeah right? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Secret Farm? <laughs> it honestly never picked it up. And I, I'm, I'm, I was 
so embarrassed once I realized. Oh, don't you know. No, it was it's a terrible <laughs> it was a terrible code name for it. And I mean to be to be perfectly frank, I don't even care anymore. So oh no, but we, it, we were essentially talking about Hidden Valley Ranch, Hidden Valley like, Ranch, yeah. <laughs> Secret Farm, yeah. Hidden Valley Ranch. But had in, you said Secret estuary farm <laughs> the, 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 the thing about farm was because their their logo i know it's a farmhouse oh farm it's house. a barn oh my yeah. god oh my god i feel so embarrassed <laughs> don't, okay don't. but but even that that's a actually a good example so i'm, I'm working in advertising i have all these you're weird not stories. a good storyteller <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> My, my career is a joke. <laughs> well, that's, that's, sorry. that's every other day that I anyway. That. Sorry, my my bad. My bad. I but, can't help. Um, uh, like the the campaign that you know, because Hidden Valley was like, we want to change things up. Give us something fresh and new, and that appeals to it. And, right. and I'm like, it's X Files. It's this fun thing. And that was all that experiential and storytelling. And and yeah. and, and, and they're like, whoa. And Slow down, yeah. Charlie. We were just thinking about making the barn green. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and that's where working at SL was so refreshing because it was largely clients who were like, "We have this entertainment property. We need something to to right. shape things up." And we don't have most of the time. They didn't have anything where they're like, "Well, this is how we've always done things, and that's how we want. We just want them to work now." Right. It was just like, "Give us something, anything." So uh, it. It was maddening, and especially maddening to my friends who aren't in media, where it's just like, where I tell them, yeah, you know, every project we get, start at ground zero. We have nothing that we build off of. Yeah. You know, other than our experience, but, you know, we're building... And with, the property. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, we have new tech that we're pulling into this. We're, we're trying some new stuff out. You know, how can we innovate here? How can we make something that people will say, oh, that's cool. I haven't seen that before. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas, you know, I have friends who are in insurance who say, I literally have a formula that I follow and I follow it every time because it works. Yeah, but right? people in insurance, they, they enter into that knowing that they're going to oh, buy a house, they're yep. going to buy a cottage, so they're going to retire. Yep. And but do, do you know how to retire? No, not at all. And that, and yeah. that there's a person in insurance going, Stephanie. you gotta, you got to figure that one out. Um, <laughs> I'll work till I'm dead. Yeah. yeah. That's all it's going to be. But um, uh, so I tied it all back after that like i started to realize you know what this all goes back to two things in my life that were were uh very influential and Mm -hmm. that's uh the canadian improv games and doing improv while i was in high school right and dungeons and dragons yeah and at one point i even when i combined the two and realized that this is a really uh impactful way to tell to to do storytelling Mm -hmm. Um, to really focus on what my players want and really focus on what their input is in the campaign yeah, and to tell a story that's, that, that weaves everything that they do into it. Um, and I even started giving talks about that. But that, that to me was not just uh, ex- like experience design, but also user-centric experience design. Yeah. You know, like I'm using the input of of the user or the audience to influence the things that I'm doing. Yeah. Do you, as an aside, uh, have you ever had anybody say like, "I hate the word user"? Oh, yes. And, and I'm not saying that no, I no. hate the word user. I have I have put that in documents and some and it will always and I and to anybody that 
feels that it's not a douchey thing to do to somebody. <laughs> when you undermine someone's writing by specifically calling out a word you a don't word like, you yeah. don't like yeah. it really fucks with your head. Yeah. It really fucks with my head. Any anytime I've I've written user, I question it because because somebody once said I hate the word user. And I'm just like but they're using the thing I made. Yeah, it's you know I use participant more often than participant not. is good. Yeah. Uh, I use audience for audience, things. Yeah, player is weird because yeah, it sometimes like, makes no. sense, but sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, well, f- but what it's done, it's broadened the scope of how I describe people yeah. Yeah. using mm-hmm. the things I do. And I don't know. Do you feel that that's happened for you? Yeah. Well, I, like because you said audience. The second you said you said user, and then you said audience, and I was like, okay. I yeah. bet you someone said you once. I hate the word user. I I don't like it myself because it uh, there's a certain connotation to it, right? Like yeah, it, yeah. it make like it just it's the word that people use and they understand it. Yeah. So I'll use it. But at the same use it. No, it's starting to become one of those words <laughs> yeah. that means nothing. But yeah, I get it. But there, I mean, there's. I apologize for bringing that up. No, Hon- no, honestly, no. I but don't... this is interesting too because things like transmedia, which were became such a ridiculous buzzword. Yep. Interactive. And then and then now transmedia makes more sense again. One hundred percent. During this recording, I have used the word storyteller. And I hate that word. I know, I know, I know. And I do too. I hate it so much it's, because it's been co-opted yes. by people who are not. Yes, it's it's the 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 Stefan Sagmeister uh, um, video. You are not a storyteller. Story yeah. Well, I, I think there's an F word in there, but <laughs> oh, well, I, yeah. I think I think, and I it, it's hilarious because the number of times I've seen advertising and with all due respect to my advertising uh, agency colleagues, when I have, when I see on their company website, we are storytellers yeah. and I, I just, I just cringe. I cringe super mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. because you fucking aren't. Yeah. And it, Oh, sorry. Are we not swearing in your episode? No, we, we're swearing. <laughs> okay. Just double checking. Fine. But, it, but, but you're not. Yeah. And, it, and it's, and it, I think it is it, again, it's that whole, strange and you've used the word gatekeeper a lot but it is that way that people who feel that they are better than you Mm -hmm. talk Mm -hmm. you're not a storyteller not at all you have never done a campaign that is like actually using a story it's not it's not how it works if if i see an advertising company and says we are storytellers and then i look at their work and it's all about narrative and story Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay 100 but if you're trying to tell me that that the way that you sell that that brand of margarine um, yeah. is a story, and it's not just advertising. I, I don't buy it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do you feel that? Uh, how has your perception of advertising changed the longer you're in it? Because because yeah. you because you worked really heavily within entertainment properties, and it's not the same. It is not no, the same to not. do advertising for entertainment properties. Have you have you stayed out of sort of traditional advertising because because you're doing a lot of games yeah and this is that's the issue is that the work that i was doing with sl makes it difficult for me to go back into traditional advertising because advertisers don't see what we were doing as advertising advertising. yeah right and especially in the last couple years at sl where there was such a heavy focus on on original ip yeah and essentially making a turn trying to turn into a, a game studio yeah um 
so that now the work that I do is with people who are trying to create web series, do um, alternate reality games, make uh, like independent game studios, so that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for advertising, though, it's like when I think about going back, I'm like, man, it would take a really special company to get make me go back, like a special studio to go back to advertising. Yeah, yeah, I it's I, hard. I totally understand what you're what you're saying. I I I've watched. I've I hate to use the phrase "watched your career" with great interest, but I have. I've always been very agog by by what you've managed to do. Oh, thanks. Man. Um. Was a race. Thanks, man. And agog is 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 an appropriate word for this. So I think it's a, it was a very carefully chosen word. I'm surprised, very consistently, by what you do, and I think that it is uh, a testament to your willingness to to try. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's what always gets me excited. You know, if if I was doing the same thing over and over and over again, I might get really good at doing that thing, but I would I would probably just be so bored. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for me, the challenge of trying to figure, okay, well, how are we going to use this technology to tell a story? How does this Fitbit? You know, how can you tell a story using a Fitbit? Yeah, and I mean not in the way that advertising agencies say we are storytellers, but in a, like a real, meaningful, you know, five act structure story. Mm-hmm. Can can a Fitbit influence that? Yeah, and because if a Fitbit can influence it, then you can have a participant influence a story by using the technology that they're already wearing. And and oftentimes, I think I think one of the reasons that the things that you're you're working on or, or the things that you are designing are, are so interesting is because you can't tell how someone is going to mm. react to what you've done with, with standard advertising you're like well that message is out there but in your the way you work and and you can correct me I would be happy to be corrected on this but the way you work because a lot of it is uh, very, uh, it, it's not linear. It's mm-hmm. it's extremely branch based, right? So the end goal may be there, but how you get to that end goal is always very different. Yeah, and it, it, it's like when you talk about like branching narrative um, is always a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest issues that that um, I've had in the type of work that I've been doing, and that the were the same problems that we had at SL. Or not problems, I should say, but challenges, uh, were that um, you're dealing with something that is a linear medium most of the time, so mm-hmm. television or film, uh, and then you want to do something that is nonlinear that attaches to it, right? Right. So uh, it's really difficult to have that back and forth play because you're not dealing with something that can dynamically change based on what is happening in your interactive experience. Right. So we've uh, or in my career, I've, I've come up with multiple ways of, of combating that. So one of them that I, I was really proud of that happened at SL was uh, where uh, we were working with a, um, an animated series. We wanted to have a, like a game at home where the kids could do stuff and then be involved in the actual live episodes. Okay. And rather than having them... Um, impact the actual episodes which would be done months in advance right uh we use bumpers okay 
which was still difficult, but um, so bumpers being the little intro and outro to a show that happens before and after commercial breaks. Right. So we... Um, Commercials are what people used, used in to, the old yeah, days. Olden timey. <laughs> um, but so in this, I'll just, uh, this is GarageBand, uh, yeah. the show must go on, and uh, we were brainstorming with the creators of the show, and one of the things that happens in that show uh, is that they are, they have these scene transitions, and they're called Wicked Cool Transitions, and they just exist, they're kind of like, you know, in the old... Uh, Batman, the spinning Batman logo, yeah. and then they're somewhere else. So those are never acknowledged in the show. And I said, well, why don't, why don't we make it a thing that the characters actually acknowledge on our site and then let kids build their own? Right. So the, the the gang is basically like, we can't get to the place we're trying to get to because the wicked cool transition isn't happening. you got to build some for us. Right. So kids would build them, uh, submit them, and then, I mean, there's a lot of COPA and other stuff that that, you know, is maybe a little bit too boring for this episode but you know working with kids and the internet scary very, um, very, very but scary. but then those those winning transitions would go between the bumper and the episode and the kid would have no idea that it wasn't part of the, part show. Of the show yeah because the character show they go hey we're going to show you the wicked cool transition winner of this week you know uh go to this website you can make your own and then the transition right. happens and it goes to show yeah done that's great so um i mean wow that was a that was a long um um tangent no but, that's exactly okay. what i asked you to tell me about <laughs> you told me about it but there's so but this but this is the problem yeah. okay so and, and and i i like that you were like not problem challenge you know <laughs> it, this is this is the thing that that i think both you and i because our our careers are so weird so weird um you get to you get the opportunity to drive the actual whatever you're working on if it's a game you get to drive how that game is going to go and it i find that so interesting that when when someone goes like well, Steph, so we have this game that we're making and we would mm-hmm. like you to be able to get someone from a dirty, empty room to the throne of a castle. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, and we definitely have to have a cat, you know, like, and you, and mm-hmm. you get to go, well, there's my storytelling hat. And then you just, <laughs> and you get to go on that. Yeah. You know? And it's, um, I mean, the, the, there's always going to, like, I find it easier than working with a blank canvas. There's always going to be, elements that need to be included right right sorry I, I should i should specify because it does sound like i just i just said you you make no the no, no but what uh, because they've done a funding application and they have very specific things you yeah. need to write and you know and you will run into it's just really like oh my god why, why am i saddled this is the worst thing to be saddled with and sometimes it's really hard mm-hmm. um and i i'm not beyond saying that sometimes it's impossible sometimes you get given something you're like you know what this requirement will make this a worse experience and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. So now the only thing I can do is figure out how to make this the best experience possible. Right. So um, there's a project that I'm working on that I can't really talk too much about, but I will say that it involves VR and hand tracking. Okay. Hand tracking in VR right now, which is tracking your hands without controllers, is pretty garbage yeah it doesn't work very well if you cross hand like it's all image recognition so if you if you if the 
image sensor sees something that doesn't quite look like a hand because you've like crossed fingers from your other hand, made a fist. it's yeah. garbage. Like yeah. it just falls apart. So I said, okay, well, how are we going to make something that is supposed to use this and be a showcase for this without being terrible? Right. And uh, what we've landed on, what I realized is like we are making a horror game and hand tracking is a part of it. So why don't we make the focus of the horror your hands, which immediately brings me to the subgenre of body horror. Right. And I said, body horror as a genre is something we have always experienced happening to someone else. Right. right? You watch it on a screen. It's just gooey, gross stuff that happens to other people. Mm-hmm. Like, So what happens now if we track the hands and we're not too worried about interacting with things, which is what's difficult to do with hand tracking, and we just start doing gross stuff to those hands. Right. Because now it's a body horror game where you get to experience body horror from the first person. Right. So I'm like, that. And that's, I guess, in any project where I go, ah, that's the aha moment. That's like, this is the connection right. between what we're doing and what this property is and how this can tie into an, a meaningful experience. And how the experience, yeah, and how yeah. the experience will not be garbage. Yeah. Which is sometimes the hardest question yeah. to answer. That's a that's a very cool it's a very cool thing. So I think that's what I'm always trying to find in my projects. It's like okay, well I know what the property is that I'm trying to advertise. If it's like a, an a, you know a tie into something, and I know what it is that I'm trying to make. So how where's the bridge between these two? Mm-hmm. Where can I make the participant feel like the yeah. audience feel like I've gone through this experience that ties into this somehow? And I I mean. Um, I, I've been talking a lot to uh, clients and, uh, and to my students as well about the idea of context. Because if you're working in, a, in an interactive medium or in like, you never want to make these things optional, right? right? Like if there's a TV series and there's a tie-in website, if you make that website optional, then it just becomes irrelevant. Yeah. But if you make it... Um, What's the opposite of optional? <laughs> if you mandatory? make it mandatory, thank you, Jeebus. Uh, <laughs> it's you. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. If you make these experiences mandatory, then you you have a, 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 a problem where your audience, if they only go watch the movie or the TV show, they're missing out on important information. Yeah. And it doesn't. Feel, that's not a good experience for them. They're like, oh, that wasn't. That wasn't good. Right. I, I would say maybe the opposite, where you're 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 um, seeding. You know, Marvel likes to seed a lot of stuff for future films in 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 other films, and sometimes it starts to feel a little bit like, okay, I just literally watched a, a vehicle for something that's coming later on, and no. you know, I would say um, I don't want to spoil Loki, but it's been on for a while. And or it will have been on for a while when this airs. Yeah, uh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's great. But I did feel that the ending was softened a bit by the fact that they used it to introduce a character that's not going to be important until later. But you, I mean, you know that that the only reason that that ended the way it did is because of COVID. Oh, really? So it was never supposed to be two seasons. Oh, yeah. really? So they cut it because of COVID. So they finished the second se- what is the second season it's supposed to be 12 episodes oh but instead they made it into two seasons I didn't seasons. know that yeah okay that makes a little bit more sense yeah he was not ever meant to be a a thing in it yeah they just needed something to end it off I believe it- that's that's why 
Very cool. what it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so not the best example for what I was talking about. But <laughs> I think the pro- I think the funny thing about Marvel because of the rabbit fan base is very much like uh, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. In in that people who tr- try to do the seeding is specifically to to help those most rabid of fans. Mm-hmm. And you see that in The Mandalorian now. Yep. You're going to see it in the Book of Boba Fett and yep. uh, all the Star Wars vehicles. And I would say that the way I use it when I when I'm talking about context, I'm using it in a in a good light. Yeah. And that is that what you want to do with your your multi-platform or your transmedia experience is you want to kind of be the friend who knows more about Captain America than you do. Yeah. So when you go to the movies, you see Captain America fighting people and you get a perfectly fine experience and you enjoy it. But your buddy's like, yeah, you know that guy? That guy, you can tell by his last name that he ends up being this villain. Yeah. You know, or, oh, you know the reason that they named this guy that name? Because he in the comics is actually, you know, so he so has all this so. additional information yeah. that, that provides more context. Now, you can use that as So a, you're saying you want to be Cliff Clavin from Cheers. Yes. Yeah, no, no, it's a little known fact. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but rather than just being anecdotal, because yeah. that's another thing is that um, I talk a lot about emergent narrative, which yeah. is often used to describe the anecdotal nature of storytelling through role-playing games right so people say uh, or through video games open world video games people don't talk about the story in the game itself they talk about oh and then i was i was fighting this group of rebels and they they were running all over the place and then this bear came in and started mauling one of the guys and then a truck blew up and the bear caught fire and now there's a burning bear running around killing everybody <laughs> stamping on everybody super <laughs> hilarious man it was the best ever those types or you know when when right. anybody tells you about their D story it's an anecdotal story where mm-hmm. something happened the role of the dice you know i have my own favorite stories from games that i've played but it's like you know what you can use this not just for anecdotal storytelling but for actual storytelling right Right for, for to actually create the 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 core concept or the core story of the game. Um, I'll get back to the D and D thing in a second, but with with the Marvel storytelling for these experiences that I'm creating, I was like, if you can create a a, a supplemental media experience, mm-hmm. a transmedia experience where you've got a film that's your core main uh, mode of storytelling. And then you've got this other thing that ties into it that changes the context of what you were watching, right? So that's one of the things that I did uh, with an ARG where by going through the ARG experience, you discover how the surprise twist of the ending was made possible. Right. Right. So what you do, you go, oh, man, I was responsible for that for that um, twist ending to actually happen because without me, the killer would never have learned where the victim lives. Right. Right. That sort of thing. Right. Whereas in, if you watch just the web series, you, it just it happens and you don't really think about it. But it's one of those things where maybe at the, you know, like at the office next day, it's like, how did they ever find them anyways? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did that. I did that. That was me. <laughs> that was that was me and twelve million other people yeah. that went to the same website. So, but speaking about D and D, I started using improv techniques because I thought it would save me time. There's a lot of prep work involved when you're running a D and D game, right? 
what I realized was that it did sometimes save time, but what it mostly did was make my games more reactive to what the players were doing. Right. To the point where I had started to uh, decouple plot elements. Like plot became the thing that the players do. Okay. Whatever the players are doing is the plot. I can think of themes. I can have um, ideas for set pieces, but I'm going to let the players tell me where this is going to happen through their actions. So I stopped writing characters. I didn't have any like arch nemesis characters that I created for people uh, or for my parties uh, because I, when I was a kid, I spent weeks creating these cool characters right. that then never were never encountered were encountered and killed in one go it's like why did i spend all that time doing that right uh, and instead i started to set up characteristics like i know i got some cool ideas for a villain i got some cool ideas for uh, uh you know what i want in this story what i want this the villain to be about i know i need a villain mm-hmm. i just don't know who he is yet I'll wait until the players start to tell me who they think the villain is. Right. And that was best exemplified in a, in a game that I ran that was a, a one-night, three-hour game on Halloween. And it was a murder mystery. Okay. And I went into it. I told, I told my friends, show up. Uh, we're doing a Victorian-era murder mystery with some you know, Lovecraftian elements. So they know, they know what they're getting into. That, to me, is kind of like the trailer. Right. Make a character that fits that world and don't come with Steve the Troll Slayer because that's not going to work. Right. Um, and then I came up with a victim. I kind of designed a character who was a victim. I didn't design any other characters. I thought of all the tropes. Tropes are really, really valuable here, right? right. Because tropes tell you what your players will expect. So if you say Victorian murder mystery Lovecraftian... You, you just I just write down like twelve words that I associate with those, and I'm like, these are the things I can I can I can guarantee my players are going to expect to right, see. Right. And so I was like, okay, so all I all I know is I need a a, a, a murderer, I need a motive, I need an opportunity, I need a um, a location where that's going to happen, I need a weapon of some sort to have killed this guy. These are things I'm going to need to figure out within the three hours of play. Right. And so when my players showed up, I. Um, I said, okay, I want you all to introduce your character to the rest of the, the party. I want you, and I had already set up to them who this this lord was, okay. right? And I said, I want you all to tell me, give me one reason why you were invited to dinner at this lord's estate. And then also one reason why you might want to see him dead. Okay. And so I had no intentions of... of, of specifically making them you know like i said if it happens then cool maybe i'll do that but i at least wanted to set up suspicion in their mind so now all the players were just like what do you mean (laughs) right you know i literally had somebody come into me in the kitchen and and you know like we were taking a break and i was i was getting food ready and they're like you've already talked to ed and ed's the killer isn't he i can't believe you set this up yes this this is and i was like well maybe (laughs) maybe not (laughs) but the truth is i didn't have anybody yeah right so i knew i needed somebody and um what I started to do was as the players were like, well, I want to go talk to the nephew who showed up because I think his story is suspect. And then other players like, oh yeah, okay, well let's talk to him. Why do you think his story is suspect? And then they would say why. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, I can work with that. Right. Um, and so I let the players decide who the suspects were because they were, they approached them and right. then I made them suspect. Right. And then a couple of them was like, yeah, 
this might be boring. I don't know where this is going. The players don't seem to be too into it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna rule them out right now, and then come up with some reason that oh nope they had an alibi they weren't there. Mm-hmm. And so as I was going through it, and I was like, okay, we're getting close to the end now. I'm probably going to have to figure out who actually did it. And I think I have enough information from what my players have been pulling as information from these characters Mm -hmm. that I kind of think I can make one of these three people be the killer and make that a a pretty rewarding experience. I go, but I think I can actually also make these two have worked in cahoots. That would be really good because all my players suspected one of those two people right Right. and that would mean that they were all right and then just as i was sort of playing that out one of my players goes guys i think i figured it out (laughs) and we're like okay and and he's he's got his little notepad and he starts talking about all the things and all the people we questioned all the things they said and why he thinks one of them is a lie because it doesn't match with what someone you know the whole sherlock holmes thing and at the end he goes and so therefore i think it was the butler but like you know what i'm saying right and everyone's like whoa that sounds so good plausible (laughs) and they look at me like is that is that the answer and i just went i don't know why don't you go confront the guy and in my mind i'm like scratching off all the stuff i had written down because that's amazing (laughs) so i mean telling that player after the fact yeah well no that you just you wrote that that was amazing and that's what we made the ending would be like oh well i didn't solve the puzzle right right and then i said but there was the, you did there was no puzzle to solve the puzzle was writing the best story yeah my job as a dm was always i am the facilitator right i'm i'm keeping time figuring out you know the the, the five act structure i'm trying to like align things but i don't write this by myself i let the players write a lot of it mm. and in fact uh, now that my players know how i do this they're much more open to like changing elements of the world right. rather than just telling me what their character does. Yeah. And sometimes they'll do that because like, you know, I, I did it because it made more sense for the story. And I'm like that, that always makes me super happy yeah. because they get it. This is a collaborative storytelling game. And you know, it's funny and I don't mean to, I apologize for, for interrupting. No. But it immediately makes me remember trying to play Dungeons and Dragons with, with you and, and, and those other guys, yeah. and me saying, me saying, I, I want to, I want to uh, um, accuse this guy, and, and and I was like, can I? And you went, yeah, I don't yeah. see why not. Yeah. And I was, and we never did actually play again. Yeah. But I remember I, I had we discussed it. You, you as the dungeon master, and 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 me as 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 a new character or a new player, and I said like, I. I am almost positive he would do it, and I am almost positive my character would make yep. that accusation yep. because that who is that character? And he went, "Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you could do that for sure. You could accuse him." I said, "Well, okay, then that's what I'm going to do." <laughs> and it would it would have given me such immense pleasure to accuse him because he was he was far more into the role play aspect right. than I was. Right? I didn't I didn't care for I don't care for affectation. Right? Right? But he did. And I thought it would be hilarious to be able to call out someone that very obviously did something and 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 it be part of and they would yeah. have to in their role, in their character, do defend this thing. themselves. Defend or, themselves. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I found that I found that There's great great greatly uh, uh satisfying. Uh, satisfying. Yeah. yeah. When you're approached for a new project, how quickly can you f- get it into your head that 
the role that you're taking is 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 that role that you do so effectively or do you kind of have to transport yourself into the project or like what's what's your what's your process to get yourself into right. a project yeah i think it's different every time um just because the projects are so different every because time? the projects are different okay. uh and because sometimes my role is very different right okay. um that's one of the sort of setbacks to working with different teams every time um I literally have to figure out how this team works. Right. Right? Uh, sometimes uh, you're coming on board and there is very strong creative direction. Uh, they know exactly what they want. Uh, they just don't know how they want to make the story work. And there's going to be a lot of feedback and collaboration. So I don't like to say, you know, uh, I think very often when people say, oh, there's going to be a lot of feedback. There's going to be a lot of author alterations. Right? And that just means the client's going to be meddling with my story. And that's not how I see it. I see it as either it's going to be something that's highly collaborative or it's going to be something where um, the the client really wants you to take the reins and be in charge. Right. Um, so sometimes that needs to be a negotiation because it's it's different levels of work, different levels of involvement. Um, but I'd say for the most part, it's it's usually starts with the team, see how they work, see whether they lead with story or they want to do more prototyping and then have story inform what they've done. Right. And then it's really about diving into the material itself. Right. Um, I make playlists of music on Spotify for every project that I work on. Right. And if I don't make a playlist, I'll find something that I know I will be listening to on repeat while I work on it. Mm. So I've got some pretty creepy stories. Or, sorry. some, <laughs> But also... So I've got some pretty creepy music right. on the go right now for this horror story that I'm writing, uh, but that'll change to something else if I'm working on a, like a kid's property. Yeah. That that is just sort of my uh, ongoing inspiration while I'm writing. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of it is research. You know, okay, well, if we're writing in a specific period, what can I learn from that period that mm -hmm. might help inform this? If it is a, an existing property that has a deep mythology, it's probably going to be a lot of watching that that property, if it's a show or, right. or reading it or whatever it is. Like, sometimes you just can't escape that. Yeah, the canon issue oh, right? yeah I'm, the, the sleepy <laughs> hollow is a really great example of that i thought okay well they sent us the first season i'll probably watch the first three episodes uh while i'm doing work at work right and then watch one or two in the middle and the last couple when i get home tonight and then i'll be ready for the brainstorm tomorrow right. and then two episodes in i'm like oh man there is a ton of world building here this is not just the story of ichabod crane this right. is something completely new yeah, I'm gonna have to watch a whole season of the show tonight, <laughs> and I did. I, I I I basically watched as much as I could at work while I was doing other things. Yeah, went home and watched every other episode, and then showered and went back to work. Brutal. But you needed to, right? Because yeah. someone was gonna come up with an idea, and it'd be like, you know what? Let's do that, and then you'd find out six months later. Oh, that doesn't work because of this episode. Right? Yeah, that's interesting. So now we're we're coming to a real change in your world. Mm -hmm. Like you have you you got your you got your masters. You successfully struggled through freelance over a pandemic. Uh, you're coming out of that, mm -hmm. and you are in for a really big change. Yeah. Uh, 
Where are you going? I'm moving to Cairo, Egypt. And Tomb Raider! Yeah. I am raiding to no, no. Obviously but, not. Um yeah, by the time this episode is live, I am already there. Um That's blowing my mind, man. Yeah. It this is so I'll talk a little bit about the decision up to it and then how it came to be. So the decision really started before the opportunity and it was a decision uh that uh kim my partner and i made that we we really were looking for another adventure we we needed to shake things up right um i've been doing freelance for a while in the city uh we've been living in the same apartment for a number of years now and the the first thought was actually let's Let's maybe find a new apartment. Mm. Let's maybe move out of the city. Why don't we find a, a small town and, and get a house and yeah. figure something out? And so all these ideas were going through our heads. And one of them was, well, what if we move somewhere else? What if we literally just picked up our bags and moved somewhere else? And then this opportunity came uh, up with uh, Ryerson University. And in particular with a partnership that they forged with uh, the universities of Canada and Egypt to start uh, a Ryerson campus and to be the program director for media production and sport media. Hmm. So it was a wow. Okay. Egypt, Cairo, very different, different part of the world, different culture. You know, you don't get more of an adventure than that. Yeah. And it's for a year, do I understand? It's a, it's a year-long contract yeah, okay. that can be renewed for longer. Right. Uh, but I think that on, on everyone's part, the expectation is that, you know, it's going to be a year. You know, yeah. I, in my interview process, they asked, like, you know, this is a, a big shift. Are you ready for that? And I said, uh, yes. And I explained essentially what I did now. is like that yeah. we're looking for this new adventure. And Kim and I have always had this philosophy about, um, vacationing and or traveling as well that if we can we'd rather stay in someone's home right or in like a, a, a um, like a, a rental home right than in a hotel because we want to go out and do grocery shopping we want to travel the same streets that the people who live in the city travel yeah we want to have the experience of being there not just of visiting yeah yeah and I was like man there is no this is being there. This yeah. is a year of being there. Yeah. So um, it's scary. It's definitely something that I, I never expected to do. Uh, and is definitely something that I'm like, I know that I'm, I'm out of my depth and I don't know what to expect. I think that's probably the biggest scare of all this is like, I, I can't tell you what my day is going to be like right. when you are listening to this, this podcast. But I have a willingness to find out. And... Um, the one thing that I can fall back on is I know that the teaching and the job that I'm going to do is something that I'm very capable of doing. Yeah. So there's at least that. I, uh, yeah, uh, honestly, the, the reason that we're recording specifically now is, is because you're like, I'm leaving town <laughs> and I, and you know, the, 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 the number of thoughts that run through one's head in relation to that announcement is, is uh, staggering. We've been locked up for a yeah. year. Like the idea of like all of a sudden changing continents is I just, I can't fathom it, but that's my own. I'm not going to put that on you because that's not what's yeah. going on. But, but the, the level of excitement for doing something new for uh, uh, what would be an entirely 
unique experience uh, seems like something that you have embraced many times over. Yeah, I think that's that, that's what probably brings me the most joy is is doing something that's new and and learning or figuring it out or being able to understand a new experience, mm-hmm. right? I, I mean, I think that's why, like, the idea of novel experiences to create for people, like, my favorite part is when you're giving something to someone that they haven't expected or they haven't experienced mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it really felt like, like you said, coming out of COVID, this was the safest time to do this. Right. You know, like, um, and what I mean by that is just we're coming out of a pandemic there's a lot of upheaval and change happening in media especially in toronto right now mm-hmm. uh and everything is a little bit of an unknown so i was like you know well if we you know i, I don't know what we're, we'd be leaving behind like i do have a lot of connections uh network of people that i that i know and have worked with but my feeling is that leaving this city for a year and then potentially coming back or potentially like we could love it there we might want to stay yeah you know but we we are um realists so our sort of mindset is this is a year-long adventure sure and if it turns into something else fantastic uh if it means we come back to toronto i think at this point it wouldn't feel like oh man we lost a whole year I don't see. Yeah, I honestly, I don't see how it could. You have mm-hmm. you have managed to create a career for yourself that I don't believe would be affected by mm-hmm. by this break in it. I don't. You know how there are people where you would be concerned about their craft that their craft would suffer. Right. I just don't see that here, and I I, I think part of it is because I think because. Your career is entirely based off of you, right? It's right. not. It's not. It's not a. It's not a fabricated persona, and I think that that's what makes it. It's so interesting and unique that you have created a career that is that is you, that not a lot of other people do. So it it, it becomes a thing that you can stop doing for a year to do this other thing, because. You are always going to be you. That I, I've never even thought of it that way, but that is awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm still reeling from that. Like, yeah, the, you're 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 right. Like it is. It's. I, I guess I never really got to see it from someone else's perspective. I am an incredibly insightful <laughs> person. <laughs> you I, and so for for the listeners, uh, when I said you uh, the first time I said it, you you literally like your shoulders jumped, like yeah. you were shocked by that. Yeah, because well, I, because it was a different way to look at. Yeah, it. I never, I never like. I mean, I just to me that that was what you do, but you you're right. Like I, I hadn't thought of the fact that there are plenty of people out there in careers where they have created a career that that is not them. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I saw an interesting quote with Jim Carrey where he said, depression is your body telling you it's tired of being the character you're forcing it to be. And, you know, the, if you think of depression as deep rest as opposed to mm-hmm. you're depressed, uh, it's your chance to allow your body to, to, to give up being that character. And I think one of the reasons that you probably find 
what you're doing satisfying is that you are the one doing it. And I, uh, I'm, you know, I would applaud if it made sense. It, it did. <laughs> no, no, no. So. But I, I'm not going to applaud nothing. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I do, I do really do think that that it, it will have no impact on your ability to to pick it back up because you're the only one that could do it. Oh, thanks, buddy. See, see, I have uh, been in uh, awe of of you and what you've accomplished for a long time, and I I have. I, I'm glad I get this opportunity to say that to you by making you the focus of this episode. Thanks. Um, it, it has been a real pleasure to talk to you. I, I, I feel like we have not, I don't know why we didn't do this before. It just, we've always been on the podcast together, but this idea of interviewing each other, I think was genius. Well, uh, the next episode will be you interviewing me. And you can ask be. me why. I will. Because I can answer that question for you. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Stefan. Thanks, you. This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content in this episode is copyright Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. Questions or comments can be emailed to admin at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Music for the podcast is provided by Not Of. Find Not Of at notof.bandcamp.com. Opening and closing voiceover provided by jeffwright.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, a like in whatever platform you use goes a long way to helping the podcast get noticed. Thanks for listening and keep creating.